Hey guys, what is happening? Welcome back to Creating Space. It's another Lululemon inspired day. I've got Celine Duvoisin on the show. She's got one hell of a story from Vancouver, no degree, down to Orlando in Florida, crushing the baking industry at Valhalla Bakery. I cannot wait to dive into her story. She's rad, she's tatted, and she's fierce. And we connected in a pretty wicked way uh, at the hike this past weekend. And I wanted to bring her on the show. I wanted you guys to feel her energy. I wanted you to hear her story. And I wanted to just dive into it. So, Celine, what's happening? Welcome to the show. What's going on, homie? How you doing? I'm really good today. Ah, that's so good. You're always really good. You know what I mean? You're always really good. And you always have a smile on your face. So let's start it off. What are you juiced about? Um, right now, I'm just really stoked. I'm sitting here in my car watching the sunrise outside of my store, and I'm just thinking how stoked I am that I'm making progress on our new store, uh, that we had such a great weekend, um, that I have so much to look forward to with the rest of my life. Like, I realize I love my bakery and everything, but um, this is a stepping stone. So I'm super stoked and juiced on recognizing the fact that this is the first phase of so many. Oh, love to hear that scalability. What is the next step, Celine? Like Valhalla Bakery is thriving. You're doing well. You've got a real strong grasp on the industry there. But what's what's step two? What's level two for you? Well, right now we have a donut shop opening because donuts took off so well for us in the bakery um, that we can't keep up with the volume that we need to produce. So. We, for the last six months, have been working with a builder and contractors and everything like that to build ourselves a second location, which is called Valkyrie, which because it's all tied into the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're opening the second location, and we finally have started construction now, and we should be open December 1st. Uh, now, let me, let me ask you a quick question, Celine. You don't have yeah. a degree, not even a high school degree, am I right? Nope. I dropped out in grade... Like nine and a half, ten. You said peace to school because it wasn't for you. And you are thriving, right? You're thriving in Orlando. But before we start, you mentioned the words, I am able, in your leadership declaration at the very end of the trip. Let's start off by explaining to me and to the listeners what the phrase I am able really means to Celine DeVosson. So my entire life, um, when it comes to certain things, I talk myself out of doing them. Um, I've always wanted to go rock climbing. That's something I've always wanted to do. Literally since I was probably 16, I wanted to go rock climbing. There was rock climbing gyms. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. There's rock climbing there. And I always would talk myself out of it and was like, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be strong enough. You're not going to. And then... For the last couple of years, I mean, I was very heavy. So I was like, you're not going to be able to support your weight. You're never going to be able to do this. So that little voice of self-doubt always told me I couldn't do things. So when we had to make our declarations, I was like, you know what, bitch? You can do fucking anything. <laughs> so if you can do anything, why are you constantly saying I can't? You've proven that no matter what, you land on two feet. Wow. So why... Are you talking yourself out of everything that's new and different? I'm not scared of change. I'm not really scared of anything. But at the same time, 
that inner monologue is telling me that I'm going to fail. And I guess the one thing that I am afraid of is failure, and we really faced that this weekend. You so crushed it. I am able is, you know what? Fuck it. Just fucking do it. Yeah. What's stopping you? Only you. Yeah, the facade of fear. And you know what? I respect so much of how I just watch you just brush everything off. It really didn't seem like anything got in your way. You made really crucial decisions early. And I thought that was really a really admirable trait. And I want to dive into how you've kind of grown that muscle now. So walk me through that that time when you're ninth grade or so in Vancouver and you're re- realizing, all right, school's not for me. I'm out of here. So I was never quite the normal kid in school. Um, I was always like, I was in junior Mensa. <clears throat> um, I was in advanced programming pretty much my entire time in elementary school. Um, my home life was a little wonky just because like I had a stepdad who was very emotionally abusive. Um, my mom is highly emotionally intelligent, so when you have an emotional abuser and someone that's emotionally intelligent, it's a really bad situation. Um, so it got really uncomfortable at that point in time, and I just got lost in books. I was reading crazy, giant books about everything in fourth grade. Um, wow. Yeah, I was I was a little above my high, uh, reading level for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean um, when I was you were reading massive uh, epic books when I was reading Go Dog Go? I don't I'm not I don't, don't think that's I mean fair. probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean you you also really hooked up with sports and I was just that kid that was for some reason I was so scared of everything even as a kid. So like books were my savior. So by the time I was like in regular programming, I was like, eh. So in high school, um, my friends and I, I kind of hooked up with a group of kids that were smart, but also like the rebels. And we started breaking up our homework assignments. So even though they weren't group assignments, we made everything a group assignment. So we only had to do one quarter of the work. Wow. Nice. Because think outside the box, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You've been delegating since you were tiny. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, the rest of the time we just wandered around and smoked weed and ate mushrooms. Wow. <laughs> Again, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. You, you know, walking down Granville Street every now and again when I live there, I can understand that that's part of the culture. It is. It really is. And that's where I ended up, honestly. Like, my dad was always like, Granville's bad. Don't set foot on Granville. And where did I immediately go when I started running away from home? Because, I mean, I started running away in grade eight. Um, that's when I like first was like, yeah, fuck it. So I would like jump out my bedroom window and uh, just go stay out all night and watch the sunrise in a park and pretend that I'd just gone out early in the morning. So it seems like to me that rebel side of you has always known that you could trust yourself, right? It's always known that you kind of had your back and that um, the ideology that you had was that you were going to conquer it, whatever it came, you could take it. So tell me this, Celine, when you look in the mirror, what do you see now when that's looking back at you? So it depends on what mirror I'm looking in. Ooh. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I train six days a week. I'm a weightlifter, not like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting. I'm just like a straight bro bodybuilder. Um, So when I look in the mirror at the gym and I've got a pump, I'm confident. I'm like, I've fucking got this. Check out those traps. Look at those biceps. Bitch, you're making progress. Mm. So that's my, the mirror I look in and I feel the best about myself. And this was actually in my Lululemon uh, interview for our, for uh, our submissions. Um, I feel powerful when I'm weightlifting. I have very high numbers that I throw up. Um, and I'm very proud of that. I can embarrass most dudes. Wow. Um, so in that mirror, I'm a hundred percent confident when I'm in my home and I've got harsh lighting in my bedroom and I look in the mirror, I really struggle. Um, I struggle with a lot of self-image with that because I feel like in that regard, after losing over 100 pounds, um, I'm never going to be where I want to be. And that is the thing that I struggle the most with because anything else in my life, I've been able to tackle head on. Sure. And self-image is not something that can happen immediately. And I'm really into instant gratification. <laughs> sure. So sure. like I, when, when I quit doing drugs, I quit doing drugs overnight. Like I just said, I'm not fucking doing this. And I actually never went back and relapsed at all. When I got off of heroin and crystal meth, I just stopped. Wow. Impressive. When it comes to body image and self-image and self-improvement, it's such a process that I struggle with it. And right now I'm really trying to stop beating myself up. So like in one mirror, I'm this strong, capable, I can destroy absolutely anything. I've got this. Maybe, you know, me and my best friend will take flexing pictures together constantly and I'm a hundred percent stoked. But then in another mirror, I see weakness and so much farther to go. You know what? Can I, can I share with you the mirror that I saw? Is that okay? Celine, when I first saw you walk into the huddle that we had around the fireplace, I saw strength. I saw confidence. And I saw someone who was a leader. And I don't know that you understand your level of vibration that comes off of you. And I think it's a natural thing for males or alpha human beings to be attracted to, to like powerful vibrations, power, right? And I was attracted to you from... The, the minute one in, in that way. So I want to get dive in a little bit further into that, right? So we were sitting together and started to connect one day in the sun out on a little picnic and you and I kind of dived into the beginning of our connection. We didn't really have much Correct. time before then, right? Someone um, got some really good pictures of that, by the way. I, I, I really need pictures. a couple for that. I would love to be able to capture that moment. I don't, I don't have any of those pictures. Um, <laughs> I saw them in the group. I'll have to take a look for them. I was like, I looked at them and I thought, man, that's the moment Wes and I were hanging out. And you can actually totally see in the pictures, our body language. We were so into that conversation. Yeah, we such good pictures. I have like a sunburn on the back of my neck because we were there for probably a good hour just chatting about life. And I saw, I saw why Lululemon selected you. I got it. Um, I'm, I would pride myself on my ability to uh, think analytically and, and understand situations very quickly. And I, and I saw it. But why do you think, you know, you, you talk about your former drug use, you talk about your self-image, um, but, but why do you think 
Lululemon wanted to bring you into the hike. And what do you think it is that you do every day that they're so in love with? So I questioned it a lot leading up to it. I mean, I, I realized that my story is interesting and not many people have joined the carnival and traveled across Canada. And I get that I have a very diverse and like history of literally saying, fuck it, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I know that that's what I do. Um, but I think we all have that inner monologue that tells us that we're, well, we actually know that we all have that inner monologue at this point in time, uh, that tells us that we're not good enough. I felt like I was chosen because I have a story to tell of survival, um, that no matter what you're facing, you can recover and overcome. And I felt like that's probably why I was selected because my history of drug abuse, I have a history of sexual abuse. I have a hit. Like if you want to hit on a key of like a fucked up growing up, I've survived it. So let's, can we, can we dive into a little bit of those, uh, those moments? What's been one of the harder, harder moments in your life? It's so hard to pinpoint because so much of my life, I turn a switch off. And Kate and I were talking about this, actually. Um, I've had a lot of moments where I was like, oh, shit. Okay, this is not a good situation. There was a lot of times in my life where I ended up in very dangerous situations. Um, but I just plow through them and figure out a way out. Like, I like puzzles. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Figuring out how to get out of those situations. Like, when I was with the carnival, um, I had made a really, really bad decision. And I was either 14 or 15. I think it was 15 because the age you had to be was 16, I'm pretty sure. And I had lied about my age. And my sisters that's two years older had actually not been accepted into the carnival because she told the truth about her age. <laughs> wow. No way. Yeah. So... I joined up with them in Victoria, British Columbia, and uh, at some point in time, my boss ended up preying on me. And I mean, I'm a fucking minor at this point in time, right? Wow. And this dude has me in his trailer, and I mean, we're about to have sex, and he tells me about his wife, who's not with the carnival right now because she's having their baby. Oh, and all I could think in my, in my mind is I'm fooling around with this dude who's in his 30s, and I'm like, 15 is, oh, man, this chick's about to have a baby. That's fucked up. Well. So I left his trailer, did not complete the deal, did not seal the deal. a girl. <laughs> um, well done. Walked away from that one. Dodge yeah, I was like, wow, okay, my moral compass at this point in time is slightly skewed, but no. <laughs> sure. So some other people from the carnival uh, kind of discovered that this had been going on, and obviously he's not going to say this 15-year-old walked out on me. And they started coming for me. Like, they wanted to kill me. Really? Yeah, like they were real pissed and carny folk are not really the people that you want to fuck around with um these are people that definitely don't have a moral compass in some regards not all of them disclaimer so you were <laughs> you were literally afraid for your life yes 
And so what, what, what does that make for are you? Are, are you running at this point? Are you trying to get a, I, get away? Like what, what kind of experience I does would, that create? I couldn't leave my bus because we traveled on a bus because there was girls with soup cans in socks waiting for me. Wow. Yeah. So what did you do? I called my dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I fucked up. Wow. And we're in like Lethbridge, Alberta at this point in time. This is, there is nothing there. And I mean, so many other things have happened and like, it was such a weird situation where like one of the dudes from the carnival that was like in his fifties was lurking so hard on the younger girls. And I remember going somewhere, uh, like to a laundromat or something. And he was just staring at us so hard. And I was like, I know that look as a girl that's been in some shitty situations. I know that look when men give it to you. It is a look that means get the fuck out. Wow. So I called my dad. And of course, at this time, it's been, I've left home. Like, my dad and I are, have a strained relationship at best. Sure. And uh, I was like, Dad, I'm in a really bad situation, and I need your help to get out. And he bought me a bus ticket, and I hitchhiked to the bus depot, and I left. And I went back to Vancouver. And I had to uh, work with my dad to pay off that bus ticket. So I worked for his company in Vancouver and lived in a shelter, uh, a youth shelter, until I paid back the money and then I was able to leave. Wow, he wouldn't even allow you to, li- to live at, at the home? He forced you to live in a nope. shelter? Um, it was more at the time because of my stepmom and I had a really strained relationship at that point in time. I mean, keep in mind that I basically said, fuck you, you guys suck. And took off and started doing drugs. They couldn't trust me. I was not a trustworthy person at that time. I was stealing. I was selling whatever I could for drug money. Um, So I wouldn't have let me stay in my house either. What do you think you were running from, Celine, at that time? I think I was running from me. Mm. What does that mean to you? I think I knew that I had other things that I needed to do in my life. And, uh, I think that terrified me. You saw your greatness in the back of your mind. Sounds like to me. I honestly, like I, I hate to be that guy to say, yeah, you're totally right. I'm fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. That's what happened. But part of it is we come from a very, like my family's Dutch. Um, I'm second generation. Um, my Oma and Opa came over here in the fifties. My family is very, very close knit. And there was times that I just saw my Opa's face and I was like, I can't disappoint this dude. Like this would be so bad. And just thinking of every opportunity that I had been given growing up made me not want to squander the ability that I knew I had. I always knew I was smart. I mean, you know, I'm in elementary school and I'm hustling, selling these hand-painted cards I made for Christmas money because we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I knew that. Like, I would look around and I knew that that life was not destined for me, but it was destined for me right then. It's what I needed to do 
to learn who I truly was and could be. Let's dive a little deeper. Yep. So there's always, I call it the creating space moment. There's always that time, and I'll do the athlete reference. There's a moment that we all have in our life when we put our foot in the dirt and we pivot. And we make a decision, much like you made the decision never to do drugs again. You pivoted away from that. You haven't done it since. Tell me that creating space moment in your life where you kind of looked at yourself and you've been doing enough soul searching to realize, okay, here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. And in order for me to get from one place to the other, I got I to gotta go. What, where, where were you? What was the decision? What happened? Walk us through that creating space moment in your life. I think one of the first points of that, not the exact moment, but the beginning of that, is I was living in a woman's shelter in Victoria. <laughs> and I was too young to really live in the shelter. And uh, I was surrounded by extremely lost women. This is a transitional shelter where they allowed you to come in high, which is uh, so you can accept where you're going. You're not allowed to bring drugs into the shelter, but you can come when you're high so you have a safe place to be. And I remember looking at these women, because remember, I kept started doing drugs really young. <clears throat> and I remember looking at these women just standing there on heroin, nodding off in the middle of this shelter. And I was like, I can't be that guy. I can't be. Because if, if I go deeper, I'm going deep. Wow. So, um, that's when you, that's when you looked at it and you're like, okay, now I know I'm not going any deeper than this. Now I got to start the process of figuring out how to do less of this and more of something else. Yep. Where'd you go from there? So I, uh, I started working with the needle exchange program because Vancouver had needle exchange programs going back 20 something years from now. Um, and I made a connection with a couple of women that worked there. There was a uh, Megan and the street nurse named Louise and uh, people that there was a lot of outreach projects in Vancouver that were non-religious that were just there for you. They didn't want anything back from you. And I remember that they had so much more that they wanted from me. They knew that this is not what I was going to do. So they gave me every tool they could give me for me to grow. So they helped me get on uh, social assistance. So when I was 18, I got an apartment um, and I just decided, okay, you're going to stop using drugs, and I was still drinking at this time. You're going to stop using drugs, and you're going to figure it out. So I lived in this apartment, and I was 18 years old, and I was making a different type of friend because now you're not homeless, right? right. So you're making a different type of friend, and you're leading a little bit of a different life. And... I started to get into computers at this time, point in time because my dad always had computers growing up. And my mom was going for her MCSE at that point in time. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what I want to do. So I started looking at that. And then I was like, nah, no, 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 nope. <laughs> way too boring. <laughs> so I moved, I'm on Vancouver Island at this point in time. So I moved back and I had a long talk with my dad. And I was like, 
okay, like, I need to figure my shit out. And he was like, yeah, you're right, you do. (laughs) (laughs) And at this point in time, they let me move back with them with a lot of conditions. Um, Can you throw a couple of those conditions out for us? um, Curfews. Um, making sure, like, no theft, obviously. Um, if there was any drugs or anything in their house, that was immediately, I'm out. Um, it was very strict guidelines of my type of behavior. You know, sure. you're going to pay your own way, you're going to do this, you're going you're gonna to make sure things happen. Got it. Um, so I went back, and I was in Vancouver, and I decided to go to makeup school. Because what do you do when you don't totally want to apply yourself, but you want to get your toes a little bit wet? You find something where you don't actually have to do a whole heck of a lot. (laughs) Yep. You apply yourself to something that doesn't require all of you. And that's what makeup school was. I know that. I can totally, and and for some people, 110%, they're all into it. I wasn't. It was my way of going to school for something and applying myself without actually having to delve into what my possibilities were and not having graduated from high school. It was something that I could do. So I worked, I finished makeup school mostly. (laughs) 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 I didn't do my final assignment based on principles. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Based on principles. That's too good. And I don't even remember what it was, but I totally stood for it, 110%. And I was like, fuck you, I hate this principle, I hate this final assignment, I'm not fucking doing it. So I actually never totally graduated. Awesome. In proper Celine (laughs) form, I might add. Oh yeah, 100%. But do you think I let that stop me? Absolutely not. No chance. (laughs) Not one chance. No, no. So I started working in the makeup industry and was working on like independent films and stuff like that. And I made some really good connections and like, I was really, really into the rockabilly scene. And that scene is very heavy into alcohol. <laughs> um, so at 20, I said, you know what? I don't like what I'm surrounded with. I'm not going to drink anymore. So I stopped drinking and I've never had a drink since then. Wow. You make these decisions and you never turn. You never go back. You never falter. That is very rare in society. And it it goes back to that goal that you have, that courage, that self-reliance. And I think you use the word adaptability. I just think that once you make a choice, you go. And I love that. Um, And you've made a choice now to open up Valhalla Bakery in Orlando, and you're really making big waves. People are loving your product. You and your husband, who is one of the area's best, if not the area's best barber, is down there chopping hair, making, uh, I guess, women and men. I don't want to generalize to just men, but I guess he's down there uh, really making waves as well. So you've cultivated this greatness all around you, and I think it's phenomenal. But there's... So there are some key aspects to that that make you great, right? There are some habits that you have, i.e. the ability to make decisions and never look back. Tell me some of the habits that you have uh, innately 
that contribute to your success, Celine? So I touched on it a little bit, but I have um, an ability to really recognize my triggers. Mm. I am very hyper self-aware, and maybe that's part of it, is I am very, very, very aware of how I react to things um, and how other people react to me. Um, And I also can turn off my emotions in a heartbeat. What does that mean? I have what I like to refer to as a light switch. Okay. Um, So when I decided to stop doing drugs, I flipped that switch. I just said, I'm not doing this. When I decided to stop drinking, it was the same thing. I was like, okay, I'm not doing this. When I decide to do something, I turn it on and I do that thing 110%. If I decide not to do something, I just turn it off and I stop thinking about the challenges or anything like that. And I like to think of it as I have pit bulls. They're the best dogs in the world. Yep. And <clears throat> I like to think of myself like them because my dog, Odin, if he wants something, he's going to fucking get it. It doesn't matter what that is. He will make it happen. That dog can open a refrigerator he can climb whatever piece of furniture that his stubby little legs will get him up. No that way. That dog gets what every... Oh, yeah. He's amazing. Everybody loves him. He's the most hilarious dog in the world. <laughs> um, everybody that meets him is like, this dog rules. <laughs> um, so, I mean, think like a dog is kind of... I guess what I do is like, I just put my head down and I keep going until I get there. I don't stop and look around. I don't smell the roses. I just do it or I don't do it. Because if you put something off and you keep procrastinating on it, I'm never going to do it. I'm going to always find a reason why I can't. So I have to do things like if somebody says, hey, I need you to do this. If you don't get a response from me in 48 hours or if I don't do it within 48 hours, it's highly likely I'm never going to do it. Where was that muscle built and how was it built? And if I don't have that muscle, how do I begin to construct it? I think you have to really get yourself decide what your priorities are. Hold on, Celine. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We missed that. We <laughs> the fucking best question, the one answer I couldn't wait to hear. Let's back up. So I'm gonna ask it again. I'll cut it out in the editing process. Um, I'll reframe it. So if I don't have that ability to make a decision and I'm caught in the gray area and all I need to do is go one way or the other, right? I'll say yes or say no, but I'm stuck. How how can you help me or help a listener get out of that place where they are stuck and make a decision? I think like everything else in your life, you have to decide who you're going to be. You have to make that decision if you are going to be the person that succeeds and then you have to decide to do what absolutely ever it takes. And once you've made that decision that you're going to be successful and you are going to move ahead and grow, it doesn't matter what comes in your way. You're just going to do it. You have to stop questioning every outside force, every roadblock or whatever it is, laugh it off and keep fucking moving. Mm. It might not happen in your timeline, 
But that doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant. Do you think that I wanted my both of my stores to take months longer? No. Do you think I wanted them to take tens of thousands of dollars more than I thought I needed? No. But you know what? If I'd stopped, I would have failed. The only option is to move ahead or else you die. You wither up and die unless you keep moving forward. So powerful. I got chills listening to that because you'll look at that wall of fear for the rest of your life and you'll know you gave up. And you'll know that you decided you couldn't do it and you didn't even try. And I love that. And Celine, you're powerful. That's why on that second wall, when I got three quarters of the way to the top and I came back down, I was like, I can't. I knew that if I didn't go back up and set that and make it all the way to the top of the harder wall, because I'm an asshole, (laughs) (laughs) I would have set the tone for my weekend of allowing myself failure. You know what? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into that in a way that you pushed me without even realizing you pushed me. Okay, can I go? Can I go to this level with you? Sure. So we're we're we finally realized we're about to do hand gliding, right? And yeah. I hate heights. Not a heights guy. Vertigo rips me apart. And not a heights guy was not gonna do it. Was literally not gonna do it. And we were in separate cars heading down to the launch site for the hang gliding session and we both popped out of a car at the same time and I'm in my mind just trying to stay calm because all I really want to do is just sit in the truck and be invisible you know because I don't want to do it and I but I also don't want to be the guy that doesn't do it and you pop out and the first thing you said to me is Wes I need to know exactly how you feel about this right now uh and you were checking my temperature um why why were you checking my temperature at that time It was actually interesting because we were all, the car we were in, we were talking about you on the way. Uh Uh-oh. And, yeah, we were like, that guy's such a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, needless to say, you put it on, you put a dick on my yoga mat that you signed. So I see. I mean, I put a dick on everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We were talking about you and I, I had said, I wonder how Wes feels about this right now. Because, I mean, we know that you're afraid of heights. I mean, I think most of us definitely. Heights are fucking terrifying. Let's just be real right now. They're the worst. (laughs) They're awful. I hate them. (laughs) (laughs) But we were talking about it. Someone in the car said, I bet he, uh, I bet Wes is really struggling with this. Wow. And I can't remember who it was that said it. It could have been Missy. I think it might have been Missy, actually. It was either Missy or, well, I mean, there was only four of us in the car. So (laughs) one of us said that. And I just really wanted to see where you were at because as someone with an athletic background, that really, I mean, you've done some major jumps in your life also. I really wanted to kind of see where you were at. And then when I saw your reaction, I realized that you needed a couple extra minutes. To yep. kind of bounce off of somebody. Yeah, you, you, I realized that when I left. Listen, I, I internalize everything. It's just, it's part of my nature. I think I, I picked it up from my, from my old lady, my mom growing up. And I left that thinking, Celine was taking my temperature. She was worried about me for a second. She could feel that I was panicking. Um, yep. And that was part of the reason that I felt we connected so 
genuinely later after that. And I want to say, I appreciate that because, um, you saw me in that moment. You knew that I needed a little bit of a help. It's not in your nature to, to give me a giant hug or anything, but you just said, Hey, yo, I'm here. I got you. And I appreciate that. Um, that's my way of giving a giant hug. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But it's why you're going to be, uh, increasingly successful. Celine, you, you've got it figured out. You know who you are and then you know what you represent. And then you, you meld the two to create a great product. And then you're just a good overall human being. And I'm so, so thankful to have been able to, you know, rub shoulders with you, learn from you, watch you, and then now be able to invite you on a creating space and hear your story. It is an epic story, by the way. Well done with what you've done with yourself. Thanks, man. I I think that this weekend, this past weekend, is going to change all of our lives. Most definitely. And, I mean, when you say life-changing, people think it has to be some epic, giant thing. I mean, parts of this weekend were epic and giant and amazing and literally just, like, earth-shattering. But I think what people don't realize is that those little moments that make something click, those little tiny moments, those are life-changing. Life-changing. Because they change the way you look at something. I shed... And that little moment... Go ahead. Those, those little tiny moments are what form you. And those decisions where you're like, I'm going to do this, that forms you. So if you give in to them, you're fucked. You're never going to reach your potential. <laughs> never going to reach any potential that you have set out for yourself. And you're, that bar, that needle is constantly going to regress. And you have to be passionate to progress it. And you progressed uh, in your own way. I shed a lot of skin and left it there in Chattanooga and was able to grow and expand a little bit larger. And Celine, I can't wait to continue to watch you grow when I get into Orlando, I can't wait to come in, try every single bit of pastry you have because I have the biggest <laughs> sweet tooth in You're the world. You're going to die. <laughs> and also get a haircut from your husband because I love uh, a good bit of craftsmanship with a haircut. I, I appreciate that. So, Celine, thank you so much for coming on to the show. And I wish you so much happiness and success as, as we continue to walk in our own respective lights. Thanks for having me, Wes. I really appreciate you, man. And I can't wait to see where all of us go.